Hey everyone, it's Evelyn and I have been reading to you uh, the Into the Light by Dr. John Lerma and I'm going to continue it tonight. I think I'm going to do it on Sundays and that way if you need to listen to the end of the last episode on the previous Sunday that you can uh, to remind yourself about what the book is about, but that will allow me uh, as I'm reading it to space it out so that if you are listening, you don't have to pile it up into one week. I was going to do every single night that week uh, because I will be reading it every night that week uh, anyway, but I decided to space it out because everybody's so busy and right now it's the holidays and this will take us into um, January. And so then you can let me know what you thought of the book or if you like to listen to it or if you skipped through it, I don't know, um, because my demographics will be down for it, but at least I'll be reading it and um, it'll give you something to listen to if this is your thing, uh, which it's my thing, um, but it's not always for everybody. So if you need to skip through these, that's fine. Um, but I'm gonna be reading to you tonight, the second chapter of Into the Light by Dr. John Lerma. Again, he is a hospice physician from uh, Texas. I'm not sure if he's still in practice or whatever his deal is, but I found this book about um, 10 years ago or so. And uh, I think it's been about 10 years now, I'm not sure. Um, it's been a long time and it was a big hit. So I will begin with chapter two. I'm gonna do it commercial free just so that you guys can concentrate. There's nothing like being in the middle of listening to someone talk and then a commercial come. Also, I'm very time-based, and so I've got to uh, kind of keep myself within the time before Anchor cuts me off, especially since I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to be putting an ad in here. So chapter two is called The Smile. Jacob was a beautiful little boy with wild, curly black hair and pale skin. Upon meeting him, I saw a frail two-year-old who resembled a little rag doll. He was unable to move or open his eyes. He could not cry, swallow, or even smile any longer. When Jacob lost his smile, his parents knew his soul was gone. He had such a beautiful smile, and then, overnight, the disease invaded his facial nerve, leaving his facial and respiratory muscles paralyzed. His mother cried as she recounted that terrible day. Jacob had to be put on life support after that. She said that after being born, he developed normally for the first year. Just before his second birthday, he exhibited signs of muscle wasting and began to quickly regress and degenerate. His illness reduced his muscles to jelly, leaving him in a flaccid state, unable to express his pain. It was heart-wrenching and heartwarming to watch his family try to make its little boy's last days peaceful and filled with love. His mother rocked him, sang to him, and massaged his little body. She kissed his forehead sweetly every time she entered and left the room. His older brother, Michael, who was only four years old and full of energy and life, did not seem to understand why Jacob slept all the time and couldn't play with him. He sat for hours on the bed next to Jacob, reading him books, or at least that's what he called it. They were mostly picture books, but Michael told excellent stories about the pictures, and he never tired of talking to Jacob as he played on the floor next to the bed. After spending more than four months at the hospital on life support, Jacob's parents could no longer watch him lie there and slowly decline. The doctors assured him that he had no possible chance of recovery and repeatedly recommended him to hospice. After several opinions from multiple pediatric neurologists and geneticists, which gave him no hope of recovery, Jacob's parents finally consented to comfort care. 
He was discharged to home hospice care as the family wanted him to be surrounded by all of his stuffed animals and the comfort of home. The next few weeks were quite difficult for Jacob's mother, father, and brother. With the daily education and support from the pediatric hospice nurse, aide, and chaplain, the family was able to cope. During one of my visits to their home, Jacob's mother asked me if I believed in heaven. I replied, yes. Why do you ask, Sarah? Well, I was contemplating our traditional Jewish belief that souls go to a place called Sheol, a dwelling place of all deceased, where they wait for the Messiah to resurrect them. There are many Jews nowadays who have varying beliefs, including Messianic Jews, who hold the Christian heavenly principle. I love my religion, but I want him to go to heaven so he can run and play and do those things he was not able to do here on earth. He deserves that. He's just an innocent little baby. I spoke with the rabbi, and he said that I can pray for that. What do you think, Dr. Lerma? I understand your pain and desires for your little one, and I agree with your rabbi that prayer is powerful. I remembered what Matthew had told me about prayer and about sharing his story, so I told Sarah about Matthew and his mother and their spiritual experiences. Amazingly, she was comforted and touched by the stories of hope and began praying to God for a sign to let her know that her little Jacob would be with him and the angels. The next day, I shared more of Matthew's story with Michael Sr., Sarah, and little Michael, and spoke further of Rafi, Noah, and Gabby, and the dolphins, and they seemed to be engulfed with the peace and comfort. At that moment, I also felt a sense of tranquility and was grateful to the little boy with a crooked smile. Within minutes of finishing the tale, Jacob opened his eyes and smiled really big and raised his arms as if he was reaching for someone above him. I was stunned. It was impossible for him to rally that kind of muscle strength. He smiled, his arms ascended, and then he died. His mother was sitting on the bed, and she was so shocked, too shocked to cry or say anything at all. Michael had been playing on the floor, and when Jacob died, he stood up and walked towards the bed next to his mother. As he was about to sit next to his mother, he abruptly stopped and went around and sat on the other side. Curious, Sarah asked him why he moved to the other side of the bed. Michael quickly replied, there's an angel sitting next to you, so I couldn't sit there. Don't you see him, Mom? She looked flabbergasted, but she felt comforted by her little son. Michael suddenly touched his brother's body and ran out the door crying. Before we could go to him, he turned around and calmly walked back with tears still on his face. He walked up to his little brother and lifted his arm. His mother asked what he was doing. He said, they're right. Who's right, sweetie? His mother asked. He answered and said, the angel's. They're in the hall with Jacob, and they told me his body is just a shell. They told me to come and see for myself, and they're right. He lifted Jacob's arm again and let it drop. It's just a shell. Jacob is with the angels. Michael said Jacob was smiling, laughing, and doing somersaults in the hallway. Sarah and Michael looked at me with both questions and hope in their eyes. I said, you have both prayed for a sign, and you were given more than one. Jacob, smiling and lifting his atrophied arms, was alone miraculous. Also, four-year-old children have no concept of death, and your four-year-old is telling you that the angels have revealed to him. I think that's a big sign. Sarah and Michael started to cry, thanked me, and hugged little Michael. It was such a beautiful and poignant moment. In doctor's notes, later Sarah recounted the story of her rabbi, and he had her repeat it to the congregation. Finally, that gave her a sense of acceptance and closure and a realization that her son was truly with the angels, not sleeping and waiting. She was so happy with that reassurance. 
little Michael continued to tell stories of Jacob coming to play with him for the next year or so. And he said that angels would fly him in and out. And that was further encouragement for their mother, which allowed her to demonstrate deeper love to Michael. That was the end of chapter two. So because we got through it so quickly, I'm going to fly into chapter three, which is a change of heart. Remember, these are all different stories. So by the same doctor, just saying. Leon was a 78-year-old Baptist minister with stage four colon cancer. When he arrived at the inpatient unit, he was in dire need of pain management and hydration. As his functional status declined, so did his ability to eat or drink. Despite his fading physical strength, through his spiritual vigor intensified, allowing him to impart varying religious and spiritual messages. Two days after his admission, I noted that he was focusing at the corner of the room where earlier patients had alleged to see angels. Curious, I asked him what he was concentrating on. He scanned me suspiciously and said, what do you want to know? I asked if he was seeing anything unusual like angels, he replied. I asked if he was seeing anything unusual like angels, he replied. Yes, I answered. He said, totally. Do you want to know about that? And I said, absolutely. Well, let's see if I'll be around long enough to tell you what I'm seeing and learning. As far as quality time, I don't think that will be a problem. I'm not sure what you mean, I explained. With tears in his eyes, Leon responded, you see, my family is very busy and the time that they spend with me is infrequent. When they do visit, it's swift. So why don't you come back when you're done visiting your parents and I'll tell you more. I suppose this can be a time of expansion for both of us. We both smiled and gave each other a warm hug. It was quite evident to me that the moment that Leon had opened his heart and I knew that and knew I would not abandon him. Later that afternoon, I returned as promised, and Leon began to share his wisdom. He had lived his life as hard as a hardline Christian fundamentalist with many prejudices and judgments against what he called misguided and the heathens. He actively organized nationwide protests against gay marriages, and he worked to convince homosexuals that they were possessed and needed exercising. He truly believed that he was doing God's work and pursued it with vengeance. If he ever questioned his beliefs, he rebuked his doubt and found Bible verses to bolster confidence in his actions. He was an old-time preacher full of hellfire and brimstone. He liked to say to fellow ministers, none of this wishy-washy, feel-good crap spouted by today's young preachers. The truth is, is that the truth, the truth is that the truth and it hurts. Ah, that is the truth and it hurts. He had lived most of his life around the philosophy. Now, at the end, he couldn't explain everything that was happening, but it was changing him profoundly. Although he was a devout Bible-based Christian and recalled reading stories of angels appearing to people, he didn't really believe that angels appeared to people in this day and age. He thought they were delusional people that the enemy had fooled into false beliefs. He discounted near-death experiences as hallucinations provided by Satan and did not believe that it was possible to have an out-of-body experience. Through his ministry, he claimed to have cast demons out of psychics, mediums, and astrologers by convincing them that they were working for the dark side. He was powerfully pervasive, powerfully persuasive, and put the fear of God into several generations of worshipers throughout his 50-year ministry. When the first angel came, Leon felt it was Satan coming to tempt him. But as the experiences continued, he came to recognize and accept the loving presence of God in everything that was happening. 
I was allowed to talk to angels and other people with knowledge of the life and the afterlife. And I was allowed to talk with God, Leon told me. I was awestruck. I had heard many voices and many stories about these items, but I had never heard people say that they'd been allowed to talk directly with God. I asked him about his conversation. He answered, all in good time. I want to tell my story the way that I experienced it. Fascinated to hear more, I clammed up and I let him continue. One of my first conversations with the angels was about women and how important Mother Mary is. In Baptist theology, Mary's role is not emphasized and women are admonished to subject themselves to their mates. He continued, that's how I felt about women and that's how I treated my wife. She was my possession. I never really loved her deep in my heart. I married her because she was a good Christian woman and would make a good preacher's wife. In fact, I was in love with another young woman before I got married, but she was not of my faith. I felt that we could never be married since we do not share the same beliefs. The angel showed him that Mary was an incredible woman, full of love. And as Jesus did, she ascended into the heavens. They told him that he would have loved and honored his wife as if she were Mary, the mother of Jesus. They said every woman and every mother is just as important and sacred as Mary. He shook his head and said, I felt remorse for the coldness my wife had to put up with and understood why my wife's visits were infrequent. After that, they showed me what my life would have been like had I married the woman that I really loved. They showed us being happy and playing with our children, camping, fishing, and taking trips to Disneyland. His depression worsened as he contemplated his decisions in his life. I've never had as much fun with my children because they were a constant reminder that I married out of a sense of duty to my church, not the true love that God had offered me. I raised my children with discipline, but not much affection. They showed me times when my children were begging for an expression of love, but I turned them away and threw myself into the church. I soon realized how cold my heart had grown because of my wrong choices. I discounted the value of love, even though the Bible says that our greatest gift from God is love. I just pretended that it wasn't important. It wasn't too painful to face the truth. When I allowed the angels to guide me during my life review, I cried inconsolably. I knew I could have been blissful had I just listened to my heart and released my flawed ideas about what God wanted from me. My life would have been so much more fulfilling. He paused for a moment, glanced at me, and when I kept silent, he continued. They showed me what a powerful ministry I would have fashioned. If only I had opened my heart and poured love on my congregation instead of condemnation. They reminded me that God is love and his love transcended all boundaries. I felt like a failure, but they assured me that I wasn't. The angelic messengers revealed how my family had indoctrinated me into duty over love, especially my father, who had passed it on to me through his behavior. He shook his head sadly and commented, I can remember what wanting my father to play with me, but he was too busy earning a living. He was always too busy for me. The little boy in me cried out in pain when I remembered this long repressed desire, and the angels held me in their arms and let me cry until I was able to understand the message. It felt as though they had held me for a long time. Once I developed clarity, they stroked my hair and sang sweet songs until I was at peace. The intensity of their love was overwhelming. Leon continued his angelic messages. All of us on earth reached our last intellectual enlightenment more than 50 years ago, which resulted in our current life in technology and science. This critical mass, as well as others in the past and future, 
has provided and will provide us with the necessary knowledge to free ourselves from our basic survival issues and expand us towards peace and love. God is currently gracing us with another enlightenment period. This time it will only involve love and spirituality because man failed to factor in spirituality to the technological and scientific knowledge given during the last period. It will be a daunting effort to stop the destruction of humanity and knowledge by the raw power of technology and science that man's irresponsibility has unleashed. The ability to overcome our adversity can only be attained by invoking his grace and believing in the power of prayer first and then action. This will assure our continued growth and survival as children of God. I felt a strong wave of resonance with what he was saying and asked for further insight into prayer and action on evading our destruction. He said it's simple, but not easy to accomplish in this day and age. We can avert it through joy, prayer, and knowledge, and just being joyful and showing love to everybody in our lives. Just remember that God will continue granting us countless chances to correct our wrongs so all souls will have the opportunity to experience his son's teaching from unconditional love and peace. The next afternoon, Leon was eager to tell me the difference between near-death experiences and his personal visions. As soon as I sat at the end of the bed, Leon said, here we go. What we know about God in the afterlife is from people and their accounts of their out-of-body and near-death experiences in the writings of the church. During a near-death experiences, during a near-death experience, the angels, God, or a deceased loved one will talk to the person who's out of their body. What I'm doing right now is slightly different. I'm awake talking to you and still able to hold conversations with the angels. I'm completely connected to both sides at once. Hmm, I said. So you could say this is like a pre-death experience or a deathbed experience? He chuckled and said, I guess you could say that. Anyway, the experience is so real. At one point, I was questioning whether I was dreaming, hallucinating, or delirious. I reassured him that he was not exhibiting the classic signs of delirium. I explained that the patients with delirium have hallucinations of objects, the environment, and people who are still alive. They're not able to hold meaningful conversations and recall experiences at a later date. It wasn't until the events the spiritual being showed me came true that I became convinced that I was ex what I was experiencing was real and what I'm being told is true. My final validation came when you told me several stories about other parents' spiritual experiences that were almost exactly like mine. I could finally trust myself again. Thank you for that, he said. I smiled and nodded as I squeezed his hand. He never quite got around to describing heaven or the other side, and I'm pretty sure he never intended to reveal that to me. There was another very important lesson Leon wanted me to share. His angelic teachers showered him with the infinite knowledge and true power of the Bible. And for the first time, he understood all the lessons and knowledge that were being missed because of our willful and narrow perspective on creation. He said that the information that we've extracted from the Bible to date is just the tip of the iceberg. The amount of lessons, knowledge, and prophecies the Bible holds is similar to the DNA's potential information. Leon noted that when the man collectively opened his mind to the infinite teachings of the Bible, then God will make his second return. Do the angels tell you this? I asked. Definitely. I was completely mesmerized by that statement. Could this be true? If there were many untapped messages in the Bible, then what could they be? Leon said that he was not allowed to reveal any part of those teachings because that would affect our lessons, which would affect man's desire to seek the one truth, which is God. 
Leon wanted to remind me that every Bible study needs to be taught with an open heart and mind and with allowances for interpretation. He continued, the responsibility I had as a preacher was to teach God's word, but throughout the years and depending on my mood, I used the culprit for my own ends. I manipulated it to preach my own belief system, and I regret that now. Today's society feels that scholars and theologians have deciphered the entire meaning of the Bible. That is so untrue. When mankind awakens spiritually, the total knowledge and understanding of God's word will be revealed. The key is being spiritual and not being solely religious. He sighed deeply, shook his head. We get over our we get overinvested in our beliefs and find ways to enforce them through the word. We don't have broad enough knowledge and wisdom to understand what God is really telling us. For instance, I was so prejudiced against gays and so adamant that God would condemn them. But the angel showed me a different way of looking at that issue. The angel said that God never makes mistakes. Every human being desires love and it's not for us to determine who they are gonna love. If someone can love them back, then that is perfection. He understood it for the first time and that was the issue that had weighed on him heavily because he preached near the Montrose area, a predominantly gay community. Leon had chosen to preach there as a protest to that lifestyle that he felt was contrary to the Christian teachings. He held all kinds of protests against gays. Now, Leon said, I know that I'm dying and when I start to become worried and terribly fearful, the angels fill me with their healing love. There were angels who looked like men and I loved them back. It was incredible. Love is perfection and for us to judge that love denies God's incredible truth. When the angels opened up my dark side and my fears, I realized that I've always feared being in love. I did not marry my true love, and I always carried that lack of love within me. Dr. Lerma, it was that repressed desire for love that led me to judge love in all of its forms. Incredible and in how intricate our minds are. He took a deep, raspy breath and kept talking. The angel showed me that even in gay relationships, there is male and females coming together. One person will always be holding the masculine, the other will always be holding the feminine. And I agreed with him and I told him that as a doctor, I know that we are just beginning to understand the chromosomal truth about feminine and masculine attributes. It's not just the phenotype that determines the whole person, he said. That's the kind of thing that angels were trying to tell me. As our scientific understanding expands and we integrate that knowledge with understanding, we will gain a new understanding of God's word, the word which was there all along. We just didn't understand the full meaning. He also talked about the dangers, about using the all or nothing mentality to interpret principles taught in the Bible, the Quran or the Torah. For instance, he said the biblical parable that articulates if you have faith of grain of a mustard seed, then you can command that mountain to move and it will move. Some people may take that to mean that if it doesn't happen, that we don't have enough faith. And that's how I operated, through guilt. I told people, you can heal yourself. And if you can't, then you're doing something wrong or God is punishing you or he's trying to teach you a lesson. I was shown how much harm that does to people and how destructive that guilt is. I was also shown how much good encouragement does. He continued, the parable of the mustard seed is really about physics, mathematics, deeper thought and how it can create. Literally, you can make that mountain move, but you have to understand that it works through love. If one doesn't have love, one will not understand its deeper meanings. I know it didn't. He paused a moment as if listening to the other side and then said, just think, if we were only using 10% of our brain, that would be almost three times what most people are using. Even Einstein used less than 10%. So we're interpreting the Bible using about 3% of our brain. Imagine that, he laughed. 
How can we interpret God's worth, worth through such a small filter? One must allow the Holy Spirit to enable that process. His love was so intense that it was almost palpable. I was so elated that he had found his true love for the first time. In total exhilaration, he continued to preach his final and most glorious sermon. I was happy to listen and take it in. All that he was saying as we progress, we understand more and more about what God is communicating to us through the Bible. Look at Joel Osteen. I never enjoyed his sermons because he was too positive and encouraging for me. I guess it's because I really wanted to feel positive like him. I know his secret. He's in love with Victoria, his wife. Wow, look at how his true love brought him. Multiple and multiple blessings. Joel has the faith of a mustard seed and he made mountains move in the name of Christ. There are definite generational blessings as there is generational sin. Dr. Lerma, don't you see how Christ's true love can be passed on to heal and create? Joel's mother was healed of cancer and Joel created a worldwide ministry. Yes, I do, Leon. Yes, I do. Leon continued, Joel talks about creating through our words and he's touching something within a large number of people. He refers to the Bible, but he uses only one or two verses for the whole sermon. That's all he needs. You see, Joel Olstein is what we are moving to. The judgment days are over. There are more people in this world now that want to forgive and live in peace. The judges have had the money, the power, and the fortitude to make things happen. It's changing now. It's done deal. God is not allowing that to continue. In the next 500 to 1,000 years, the word of God will be interpreted very differently, Leon said. Look at me. I'm obsolete. That's why it's time for me to go now. He suddenly turned to look at the clock, and with a big smile, he said, I love you, Dr. Lerma, and with true love. I will always be with you, my friend. By the way, the angels are going to give me what I asked for. Time to apologize to my wife and children and show them the unconditional love that I should have had for them. The angels told me that through my suffering and desire to learn about God's love, my wife and children will obtain an inheritance for generational blessings. For the next three days, Leon's wife and children spent countless hours listening to his angel stories. On the fourth day of demonstrating his undying love for them, Leon fell asleep for the last time and gently departed this world. Doctor's notes and more dialogue with Leon. It was interesting to me that the angel shared so much scientific information with a man who had no science background. Nonetheless, much of what he talked about was cutting edge. With regard to his comments on homosexuality, neuroscientists are currently examining the pineal gland and its function on sexual attraction. There is a possibility that the gland may even hold information on what sex we are beyond the chromosomal level. The fact that these studies are in process and not general public knowledge may lend credence to the minister's revelations. It makes sense that no matter what genetic abnormalities there may be with regard to sexual preference. The one element that is not affected is the basic attraction of the masculine to the feminine. Maybe that's what God meant when he spoke about man and woman. I was impressed with the concept that when we desire complete knowledge and can comprehend it, the hidden wisdom of the Bible will be revealed and its unfolding will never end because we will never know everything that God knows. Leon told me that God foresaw our mental, emotional, and spiritual progression towards a strong desire to know more about his word and universal plan, so he encoded an infinite amount of knowledge and wisdom, and including complicated science and technological answers. This was genuinely amazing, and it made perfect sense. It already encoded, but we comprehend more as we advance. Endless levels just kept revealing themselves as we open our mind to the infinite possibilities that fall within the parameters of the love God created. 
Leon said, the secret is to be open-minded enough to allow the unfolding of God's grandeur. We can never put God in a box and say, this is all that there is. I was also struck by this comment that the lack of love creates judgment of others. The minister felt very much at peace when the angels finally got him to understand the true nature of love, forgiveness, and acceptance. He said, love is the basic truth of God and peace will come to us in the end. That is what great comfort for both the dying and the living. The other insight Leon left was that the sooner we learn to love, forgive others and ourselves, the easier our transition is to the next world. Our angels are always present and eager to lead us toward paradise and protect, protect us along the way. However, most of our judgments and fears block that connection. It is our intense physical, emotional, social, and spiritual suffering at the end of our lives that allows us to be free from our judgments. It is at this point that our primordial fears come crashing down, allowing us to see what has always been on the other side, which is unconditional love. Leon's last piece of loving advice spoke to the importance of tearing down the metaphorical walls that keep us from loving each other and ourselves. Working on it now instead of tomorrow assures us that at least twice as much love, peace, and blessings in this world and the next. It is at that point that immeasurable blessings occur. And that is the end of chapter three. Please join me for my next chapter reading, which will probably be next Sunday. And I hope that you enjoyed this and have a wonderful morning, afternoon, and good night. Thank you.